Hello and welcome to Baz and Andrew's House of Rugby here on Joe and together with Guinness. It's producer Pat here and we've got your final summer bonus episode of House of Rugby for you here. I caught up with Shane Horgan of Leinster, Ireland and Lions fame. And we chatted about all things like Ireland's summer camp coming up, uh, his early days back in the late 90s with Leinster as well, and uh, these World Cup warm-up training games that are coming up now for Ireland. So have a listen to that. And then just to let you know as well, the full season two is coming back, Baz and Andrew and an extra special guest on August 7th. So keep an eye out for that in your feeds. All right, hope you enjoy the interview. You're listening to Baz and Andrew's House of Rugby on Joe, together with Guinness. Just to start off here, we're in Energy Park with Shane Horgan and um, want to take you all the way back to the, the late 90s. Actually, no, we'll go back before that. And I might remember. <laughs> <laughs> um, just your journey here, because your dad's a Kiwi, isn't he? Like, or he, yeah. you, you, you guys lived in New Zealand for a while, didn't no, you? No, we no, we didn't. No, no. So dad is a Kiwi, but uh, lived in... My mum and dad and my uh, sisters lived in... Um, London for a while, and that's where my mum and dad met, but no, um, um, I was born in Drogheda. Okay, yeah, um, yeah. And then played all my rugby growing up in Drogheda. My dad coached me for a bit as well. Oh, really, yeah? Yeah, so, um, but uh, I suppose when we were younger, the house was split between <laughs> Ireland and New Zealand, but uh, then when your son starts playing for Ireland, yeah. <laughs> the transfer his allegiance <laughs> is over, so yeah, there was, uh, there, was no more, there was no split, and I think it remains with Ireland now. And what's your, what's your dad's name? John. And is he, because cha- we were chatting to Joey Carberry there for, uh, for something around three or four weeks back and his dad was a coach as well and coached him for yeah. a while and he said his dad would still be the guy he'd call after every game. And oh yes, yeah, sure. my dad was the same yeah, thing. Oh, 100%, my number one sounding board and uh, yeah. advisor and, and coach and yeah, um, you know, he would have watched as much rugby as anyone so he was you know, very aware of it and also when he was sort of coming over first in the sort of 1980s he was... Um, you know, and coaching me in the 80s and, and, mm. and I think, yeah, probably early 90s, he was, um, you know, you know come from a background in New Zealand that would be very different from Ireland. Yeah. So, um, you know, he was, it was great to have, uh, have the New Zealander as the coach <laughs> of the kids. Uh, but yeah, all the way through, yeah, he's, uh, you know, sort of um, confidant and advisor. And I think, um, you know, there's, I think there's, I don't think that's unusual necessarily with, um, you know, with uh, sons and their fathers and rugby, it can be really helpful. And I think when you have a New Zealand father like Joey, yeah, uh, I think there's, there's no other option. <laughs> and was he, was your dad like, did he play a bit? Was he handy enough back in the day as well? Did you ever get to even no, see him? No, I didn't, I, I didn't know. I don't know. He, he tells me he's handy enough. All right. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, he didn't, he only played as a, as a schoolboy as well. So he didn't, uh, he left New Zealand quite young. So, um, you know, um, yeah, he didn't uh, play anything other than school. Because I was thinking about, I remember growing up playing football and you'd have on summers lads from Brazil and they'd show up for trials for your team and they would immediately get a starting spot ahead of you just because yeah. they're from Brazil. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, listen, uh, yeah, no, that wasn't the dad, but there was a lot of New Zealanders in Ireland doing that for a lot of yeah. years, all right, wasn't there? Yeah, in every, definitely New Zealand. If you had a New Zealand accent, you were in. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and then for yourself, what is it... Um, I was looking back there, your debut was in 98 against uh, Clinetley then as well. And how did that all come? Like, were you in the Leinster system on the way up? Or? Uh, um, yeah, I was. Yeah, so yeah. I was in the youth system, which is the parallel system to the schools around yes, the clubs. Yeah, so yeah. I played for two clubs in Drogheda, which were Delvin and, and Drogheda were the two Drogheda clubs. And then they combined later and became Boyne. Mm-hmm. And uh, Boyne now, um, you know, are the team that, that exists. They're, they're um, uh, the one team in Drogheda. So... Um, we didn't, I didn't play in school because my school was a, um, a Gaelic playing school. Mm-hmm. So um, there's, uh, I then started playing for the, I think around 16, playing for the Leinster Youths and then played for the Irish Youths that year. And then I had another year 
uh, in uh, youth rugby and then Jim Glennon who was the oh, yeah, manager yeah. Of, of Leinster at the time um, I think he, they kind of heard about me on the, on the grapevine and I came in it was Mike Ruddock's first year yeah, Leinster, yeah, yeah. and here we are in Energia Park <laughs> yeah, we, back. Out, we used to be out the back there <laughs> and uh, I remember my first training session coming in we trained where we are we, I changed where we trained here I was like you know I, suppose yeah. I was 18 maybe and uh, you know all these guys that I'd you know seen not so much from Leinster because Leinster mm. wasn't so big then it was about Ireland so uh, you know guys like Kurt McQuilkin and, and Neil Francis and um, Dennis Hickey and these guys and uh, you know been very very intimidated and you know being feeling very much out of my depth which I was and uh, we, we trained that summer out the back and and you know I was I was pretty fit, you know. I wasn't very big. I was built like a one iron, but I was I was fit, so um, I could uh, I could do the running bit of things. But uh, and uh, and that was it. Yeah, Mike Ruddock was great. Mike Ruddock then uh, you know gave me a chance, played an A game that year, mm-hmm. and uh, that's where I kicked on from. Yeah, that was the start of it all. But so kind of good memories in that it started here, but also um, absolutely being destroyed. <laughs> you know, looking for a lung somewhere out the back there and having like. A fully grown man uh, running into me at full speed wasn't <laughs> ideal. Oh yeah, because what was it? Because like, was there still a few guys in Leinster set up at that time that were had jobs? Like, were they still? Was Everybody there a mix? had a job. Yeah. Every, there was. Sorry, I don't know. That may be wrong. There was. I think there was four full-time professionals mm-hmm. contracts, but everybody else had a job. So training was all in the evening. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and yeah, that. And then I think the n- the next year was the first year that it was. I think the majority of people were on sort of. You know, I think you know some sort of full-time contract that was a big change yeah well yeah it was it was um training at night and uh, uh, you know it was only there wasn't many games either you had yeah the, yeah. yeah the interpro series a couple of games in europe and that was it so it was um you know it was just really at the at the starting point of of uh, professional rugby which was really nice mm-hmm. place to be you know and, and the, this kind of extraordinary growth that took place over the arc of my career yeah where my first game for for Leinster against Munster was down in Duverdoyle in front of 300 people. Yeah. Like 300 yeah. people. And then it was like 10 years later, uh, we played Munster in the, semi, or in the semi-final of Europe mm-hmm. in Crow Park. And there was yeah, like yeah. 85,000 people there. <laughs> so that's how, you know, things had changed over that time. And, and Leinster and Munster and Ulster and kind of, you know, changed from, from being the provincial team to actually being the club team. Yeah. Really, you know, so that's the majority of my life you know, Leinster was my club, you know. Yeah, and I actually remember that. I remember going as a fan to that in 2009, and the big thing for, for Leinster fans was you had to wear blue because no one wanted yeah. to get embarrassed after the, the well, other semi at the Aviva, yeah. yeah. Well, listen, yeah. no one was more embarrassed than us after the first <laughs> of the players. But I do remember that. It was, um, it, it was, you know, it was meant to be our home semi-final, mm. and it was just red. I remember that. Yeah, and yeah. then I did think about, you know, I, I did think about next time out, you know, the, the 2009, that... Mm. I was kind of half expecting that, but no, we, you, you delivered. Well done. You yeah. got everyone to wear blue. <laughs> I think we outnumbered them. Yeah, and it does actually, there, there was talk with that this at the end of the season. It's like, you know, you actually could possibly in the Pro 14 season count your points from these Interpro games and still have the Interpro Cup come back as a little extra edge of competition. Like, you know, like the, the Scots will do it with Edinburgh. They'll compete for the 1872 Cup. And yeah. You think that's a good idea? Well, you know, to- I actually do think that's... Uh, it was something I, I suggested that they, um, they look into because it actually... I don't know. Um, there's some, some, I, I, I don't know maybe if, the, if you are the... You know, if you run the Pro 14, they think maybe it detracts or something yeah. like that. And there's maybe the sponsorship issue. I don't know. But, yeah, I always thought it would be quite nice and because 
Remember almost something like the you know the ram free shield that they had in yeah, New Zealand, yeah, yeah. where you know if you have it, you hold it, mm -hmm. and that continues on for the you know the yeah, Interpro games. I think it'd be quite you know listen, those Interpro games really need more spice, but you know yeah. it might be quite nice. I, I I thought about that as well. Before. Yeah. Um, and then what was, I suppose you had started off and it was, you were centre at the start, wasn't that it? And then yeah. and then moved over to wing after a while, or was yeah. it? Did you crisscross a good bit at the no, start? No, at the most I actually, but I started out outside centre, and then a guy called Brian Driscoll came along yeah. and made things a little bit more tricky. <laughs> yeah. So I thought I like give a go at twelve. Yeah. And then I played twelve for a very long time. Mm. Um, and I the only time I, my first game for my first game as as a wing, I think first senior game for as a wing was um, my first game for Ireland. Wow, really, yeah. Yeah, and then I had a couple of years where I continued to play centre for um, Leinster and played wing for Ireland, and then eventually they kicked me out to the wing. Yeah, I remember, what was it? The, well, the, I think it's the tradition of still going and singing a song in front of the lads, and I don't know if the drinking tradition is still going where everybody buys you a drink after your debut, but do yeah. you, can you remember back to yours? Well, the, I think the, the problem with that is the Six Nations used to be over a lot, yeah, yeah. you know, much more extended period. So there would always be two weeks before a game. Now there could be more, you mm -hmm. might correct me if I'm wrong there. But so I kind of, if you have a turnaround now, it could be a six day turnaround. Yeah. You know, it's going to be a seven day between the first and second games. Mm -hmm. There's not, so you can't really, yeah. not that you should be doing it anyway, <laughs> but you certainly can't do it now. But uh, I think they normally go, listen, we'll have a blowout at the, at the final game. Yeah. But that used to be the case, yeah. I, I was kind of lucky, though, because I was four of the first caps and my first cap. So there was John Hayes, Simon Easterby, um, Peter Stringer and Ronan. Yeah, yeah. And so we all got capped uh, at the same time. So there wasn't quite the focus oh, yeah, on yeah, yeah, yeah. as you as an individual. But I do remember we got bought a lot of drinks, all right. Um, I was looking back, um, I, I remember at the time when we spoke a, a couple of years ago and where I was doing this book and I ended up looking back and there's a great photo of you with your family um, in Edinburgh in Murrayfield after you won the the Heineken Cup like how much of a relief was you, were you, you know, to finish up you know before you finished with yeah. Lancer to get there oh that was unbelievable it was that was you know I still don't know if um, well I know that my you know uh, I wouldn't have been happy you know mm. if if, um, if that hadn't happened you know with your career uh, you, certainly I would have felt unfulfilled um so that was a really poignant moment because you know your family are you know the ones you have to put up with your nonsense yeah. the whole way through <laughs> yeah. and, and being disappointed and, and being upset and being irrational you know and and certainly when you're when you're training really hard as well and um and especially you know your training sort of changed a lot and how you live your life changed a lot in the latter part of mm -hmm. the um of my career so you're kind of totally invested in it so you know you're eating much more healthy you're not doing anything really outside rugby and mm -hmm. you know your training is really strict you know, you're not always the nicest person yeah. <laughs> when, when, when you're, when you're, you know, you're, you're half starving yourself or, you know, starving yourself any night. Or, so, um, you know, they've been put up with that and they also know how impactful it was in your life. And you're trying to do something your whole career. And I think that was probably, what, what year was that? was 2009. So yeah, yeah. it was 10 years of doing something and really failing. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, you don't really want to spend your whole, and listen, there were successes along the way at different levels. But, you know, in that core thing of trying to win a Honeyland Cup, that I'd, I'd failed throughout my career. So you don't want, nobody wants to be doing something that they're failing at every year. Yeah, so, yeah. So uh, that became really, really important. And uh, as you said there, it was relief more than anything else. And, and there was a period like when, maybe when Ireland started really to kind of win the likes of Triple Crowns before, before they got to the Grand Slam that same year as well. But where you guys really had like a hoodoo over England at the time. Was England always like the biggest game for you guys? And especially when they were world champions around that time and yeah. those games in Twickenham? Yeah, well, sort of naturally it is, mm. you know. 
don't think, you know, from a, you know, there's the old enemy, but it's, it wasn't really so much that. It, listen, there is an element of that because it's how, you know, the, the um, supporters, mm -hmm. you know, how they engage with it. Um, but more the fact that that was a brilliant England team. Yeah. Like, yeah. it was a really, really good England team. And it was one of those, um, you know, um, teams that you thought, well, if we don't perform well, We'll get really embarrassed. Yeah, and that was always sort of hanging over you when you were playing. Mm -hmm. You're world champions, you know. Yeah. And, and actually, you know, the year they won the World Cup was probably they were at the right at the end of their cycle. Probably they were probably a little bit better the year before the year before that. Mm -hmm. So um, they they were they were no nonsense that, <laughs> that team, you know. Yeah. And they gave us a couple of hidings as well. Um, but um, you know, we did like I think during that period we probably had a bit of a hex on them. Yeah, there was Edgar, the two memorable tries you have against England. Uh, the one in Twickenham, the reach for the corner, and then the other one, the high ball hmm. in Crow Park of all places. Is, is there a favourite or, you know, is there one that stands uh, out? No, it's like trying to choose between two, your children, <laughs> you know, but uh, uh, no, I love them both, you know, I love them both. Very lucky that, you know, you're on the end of something like that and, and they, you know, proper, you know, proper memories, I think. Maybe Twickenham, just because it's the last minute nature of it, you know, yeah, the Crow yeah. Park, the aesthetic looked brilliant and mm. the fact that, you know, there was, it was a kind of, the game itself was really significant, but like that game was, you know, it wasn't quite won, but it wasn't far off. Yeah, yeah. Um, but the, you know, the um, the one against uh, England in, in Twickenham, um, it, it felt like hope was was almost extinguished. Yeah, you know? yeah. So yeah, and, and kind of you know, last minute try against England, it's kind of you probably be <laughs> thinking about that uh, when you were younger. I, I was looking back at um, just you know your the, the amount of games you played for Ireland and and. Um, Looking back to see what World Cup warm-up games you played, and, and I actually just saw that 2003 and 2007. I don't think you played any warm-up no. games. Was this? Were you injured or what? Yeah, were? I was. I was. I, I very nearly didn't go to the two World Cups that I went to. So I had I got injured against Scotland in 2003 in the opening game of the Six Nations. Yeah, I tore my quad really badly, and then I, I never got back, mm -hmm. and I kept on tearing it just in training. Oh, really? I was, a, I was ready to play the warm-up game against Wales, and I tore it again in the back um, pitch in, in Lansdowne and I had about I think I had about five weeks to get it ready mm -hmm. and just went to int really intensive rehabilitation and just got back just in time literally just yeah. got back my first game my first game back was uh, the first game of the, of the 2003 World Cup for Ireland which was against Romania yeah. that was my first game in nine months wow so and then similarly um, in 2007 I got injured. I was there was a warm-up game against Scotland, and I was the 23rd man. Yeah. And uh, we were just throwing a ball out the back line, and I popped my um, what did my most of my uh, my knee. Yeah, one of the ligaments in my knee. And I thought I was definitely gone. Yeah. But I got back. I think I had again maybe four weeks to get back. Yeah. So I missed the opening game of um, that World Cup and got back in for the second and played the rest. But my career might have been more healthy if I missed the entire. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're still, you would have went up. Yeah. And, you yeah. Know, if you been, missed it. Been, yeah. An all-time great. Um, <laughs> there's a thing you know, like back because it's recently it's kind of um, it's Conor Murray and Dan Levy are the two to stand out now, or even Sexton was talking about he'd love not to give as much information away about injuries as 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 has been yeah. given out, but. You know, back then for you, has there ever been a time where you were injured and it was something that's, do you have to kind of mask it or, you know, would you prefer that that's I kind mean, of not sure known? Everyone, or? everyone masks injuries the whole time. Yeah. You know, of course. And, and yeah. you, it's almost to yourself, you know, because you think you want to get back earlier, um, you know, to your coach, you know, maybe even to the doctor a bit, you know, mm. if you feel, you know, as bad or, 
I think there's always, you know, players always think that if we can get out of the pitch, I'll be okay. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, there's some, there's some truth in that. Um, so, and, you know, I, and I've sort of followed this thing with Connor about not, not saying what yeah, the injury yeah. is. And I can understand from one, I suppose, you know, personal health perspective, you know, I'm, I'm your privacy, mm-hmm. I'm, um, personal, um, um, yeah, um, integrity of your own um, health records. But I think you have to forego a little bit of that when you're a professional athlete, and that's mm-hmm. that's part of the deal. Yeah, yeah. But it does have other consequences that you know we're giving the uh, opposition team information on on you. Yeah. Um, and also, you know, uh, maybe uh, you know compromise you for future negotiations with the contract. But so I think it. You know, I I think you know players have to you know supply some some level of detail. To, yeah. You know, because supporters want to know, press wants to know. I think you have to, you know, you don't have to go into minute detail, but I think you have to say what type of injury, what's expected time and on on the return. And yeah, that's that's fair enough. I don't think you have to go into too much more detail than that, but I think that's fair enough. Yeah, yeah. Um, look, looking, I suppose, then at the World Cup, and we're going to start now in the next few days and weeks with the the warm up games as well, and tight ropes almost you have to get through, but you still want to do the guys, you know, battling for your positions and mm-hmm. stuff as well. I suppose looking from at the wingers, there's five of them in the, that 44-man squad. Actually, no, six because Addison is mm. being added into it as well. Um, do you kind of is that something that you kind of think is going to be tight? Do you think Joe already has his ideas about who's going to go? I think he probably have, you know, 85% of his team in his head mm-hmm. squad certainly. You yeah, know? yeah. I think there'll be you know there's normally a few calls. We probably think some of them are closer than they necessarily are. Uh, Joe's there's there's not too many players that Joe doesn't have you know pretty good experience of or would have seen you know there's a lot of players with a lot of game time because of you know injuries and and just because he's, he's used a lot of players over the last couple of years so um, he'll have an idea everybody's progressing and maybe some people are regressing as well yeah yeah and he'll see that he, you know he will also have had at Six Nations will have you know maybe changed his opinion on some players or, or you know or, or altered it slightly, mm-hmm. and then um, he has this prolonged period with them where he'll see them, you know, up close. Yeah. He ask them to do things, and he'll see he'll be challenged them in some ways, and whether they deliver on that. And um, you know, all the players will be aware of that. Now, listen, there's a lot of players who know they're going if they stay fit, but not everybody. You know, within that, there's another subsection that will think, well, I'm almost certainly going to be playing. Um, but uh, that's you know that's not a hundred you know that's that's a small group of players. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you know you've got these this period of, of um, training and then these four warm-up games that could really have a significant impact on you know on, on who gets in the squad and who gets in the team. Is there guys I suppose um, you know if you look at the likes of maybe Dave Kearney, Mike Haley, Will Allison, they'd probably be looked at like maybe as the outsiders or the lads that are kind of. Not, not set in stone like what do you think they would have to do like is there is it more so what you might see in training than you might see on the pitch that'll get you a, yeah. a spot I, well it's a couple of things one someone's going to get injured right so yeah. that's going to happen yeah. and you know that's not nice but people are going to get injured he's not going to pick from a you know a clean slate and he's mm-hmm. still he's still not uh, we know you know Levy's gone O'Brien's gone that changes mm-hmm. you know you think very significantly what's going on in the back row so there'll be some other injuries around the park that'll happen so some of the benefit from that then they'll be training and somebody will be, you know, training the house down. And that'll yeah. happen. And that's, that's not always enough to get in the squad, but it won't, you know, it'll get someone noticed. And yeah. then you've got four games. And they won't pick the same team for four games. And some guys might get 40 minutes of an opportunity. Yeah, right? yeah. And that's what you might get. And if you get 40 minutes 
you might get another 40 minutes. Mm -hmm. But if you don't play well in that 40, you mightn't get any more. Yeah. Um, so that's how, you know, how necessary it is to take your, you know, your opportunities. Um, and again, I think there will be, you know, there'll be a lot of it will already be in his head. So, in, you know, it'll take, it'll take significant um, improvement for someone to alter it. But I think more interestingly, it's not so much someone coming from nowhere to get into the squad or team. It'll, he'll be looking for more, I think, players who are in the squad or he's had, you know, given game time um, are kind of younger. He'll want to see them. How do they step up and become really important key members of the team? Mm -hmm. And that's what, that'll be the other thing he'll be looking for. Yeah. Yes, who's in the squad, but actually, Who's you know who can I rely on, rely on to deliver a you know big performance in a way that they hadn't been before? I, I remember um, after the it was like a bit bit deflating of course for Irish fans and the players at the end of the to get beaten so comprehensively by Wales like and when they won the Grand Slam. But I remember chatting to Rob Kearney at the at the ground after the game and there was a lot of talk of like we have to go back to what we know we're good at and mm -hmm. and stuff. Like can you see? Ireland maybe going back to maybe what they did even the year before, like more of it, you know, high balls, chasing high balls and kind of playing the percentages. No, I, I think they need, you know, they're good at lots of things, you know, mm -hmm. and I think, I think when they play their best, I think they're, they, they're less conservative than what they do. And they have a, you know, a huge interplay between forwards and backs. And um, when they get a bit stressed or like there's a bit of anxiety, they tend to retreat from that. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what gets them in trouble. They tend to become a bit basic and they take, you know, they, they run a channel out into a really heavily uh, defended zone. Mm -hmm. And I think the problem is they, they shouldn't go back to basics. They should actually be looking to move their game on. And that's what they need to do. And they certainly need to do that from a defensive perspective as well, where they're, um, you know, where they had been you know, at the top of the class, really, with what, what from a defensive um, line perspective, it was like very great integrity of the line, good line speed, got off it, you know, managed the, the, the opposition. But if you saw what England and Wales are doing in this Six Nations, massive line speed up, yeah. close, leave the outside, don't worry about it, back up again, back up again, um, you know, really, really aggressive. Um, and I think they need to look at that and, and say, not, not to say they have to mimic necessarily their... Um, defensive system but they have to move their own one on definitely you were here at energy park today and raj is doing stuff out here today as well and he's when he was with crusaders um i think they won one of the games or maybe a semi or the final with 63 kicks in the game out of hand and he was talking about that this is a big tactic that he thinks is going to come along for the world cup as well can you see something like that like will there be a surprise tactic that someone there's, it's everybody with. There's generally something that comes up in a World Cup, but I think we've seen the, the seen the sort of genesis of, of a couple of things. Mm -hmm. One, the kicking game is slightly different, so not as predominantly off ten. Mm -hmm. um, move the ball slightly further wide, kick to regather, turn the opposition. Um, because of that line speed is so 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 fast that you know, that's the way to counter it. So. I think we might see that move into the World Cup, and that could be one of the stories. So you see, you know, wings, fullbacks, outside centres kicking a lot more, and then the other one is um, you know, that defensive system that I mm -hmm. think that we've seen, you know, England and, and uh, Wales move it on a lot um, in the last while. You know, 
you know, other teams have to take note. And if they'll take note in what they're doing defensively, but also take note into how they counteract it with their attacking strategy. So that might be something that we mm. don't know yet. And maybe Joe Schmidt's working away on that. And let's hope so. Yeah. Is there, is there would be, if you're looking at the squad or who you think might go, a couple of players that you're excited to see taking out everybody at the World Cup stage, a couple of Irish players? Yeah. And it's not, I, I'm, you know, I think everybody sort of picks these Larmer you know Larmer is mm-hmm. you know when he's got a brilliant step you know he doesn't lose any pace his footwork is good listen he's, you know he's not a complete player yet but mm-hmm. he's got some you know he's so much fun to watch um, step and particularly off his you know his right foot doesn't lose any pace at all mm-hmm. you know that's you know it's something special um, I think um, you know Joey Carberry I don't know where we can get him in, but yeah. I want to see him play because he excites me every time he gets the ball. Broken field running is brilliant. Um, a different sort of outlook to, to the way yeah, you can play the game. Um, so, you know, what role they'll have, if any, you know, they may not, they may not start, they may not play, mm. you know, so, but there are two players I'm excited by. Uh, Key Carroll's I'm excited by because he's just delivered so, cons- yeah. not, it's not even consistently, it's consistently at a really high level mm-hmm. and um, you know when he pl- plays he at his best you know he looks phenomenal um, I like watching him then you've got you know Stockdale you know I still can't really analyze Stockdale <laughs> you know he just he just can deliver you know yeah, he's just yeah. a trying machine he scares me the way he defends sometimes <laughs> but um, his you know attacking game is, is ridiculous and um, if he continues on that, he can maybe start the tournament. So, yeah. um, you know, we've got a lot of good players. You know, Tyg Furlong, this is, his, for, this is his World Cup now. Yeah. You know, this is one he should be delivering on and he can deliver on. And we talk about the importance of an interplay between forwards and backs. There is a key individual mm-hmm. for you. So, yeah, like we've got some really, really good players. And if they play at their best and we have the right, you know, um, support around them and, and tactics, then, you know, we'll go all right. You're actually getting me a bit, a bit excited now. Fred. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and we're, we're here today, as I said, at Energy Park. And, and what is it we're here to kind of promote? Yeah. You're lending your, your, your support to. I'm here with uh, Energy today as an ambassador for them and their uh, Power of Positive Energy campaign, which is connecting uh, grassroots uh, rugby all the way up to the national side and uh, you know, harnessing the supporters' energy and um, to uh, impact the uh, national team. So uh, myself and Ronan have played in a few days where the crowd have been integral and their support and energy have been really important. And uh, that's the message we want to get across today, that uh, that, um, that support or energy is, is really important as we move to the World Cup. Perfect. Well, listen, I know you're going to be, you have bits and pieces that you're going to be doing during the World Cup and stuff. So enjoy it. Uh, yeah, enjoy it as a fan, I suppose, you know, and, and take it all in. It's going to be great, isn't it? Thanks a million. Okay, cheers, Fash. Cheers. You were listening to Baz and Andrew's House of Rugby on Joe, together with Guinness. Drink responsibly. Visit drinkaware.ie for the facts.